Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to your show, Strength to Be Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet, playwright, author, host of this show. I had to be back. It took a little diversion there for a while. I had a family event up in Buffalo. It's freezing up there, 27 degrees. I'm, I'm near Florida over here, so, hey, not used to that kind of cold. But the kids loved it, playing snow, building snowmen, all that sort of thing. So it was a worthy, a worthy trip. I am back in the running over here, and I can't wait. All right, our, our next show here is episode 112, Peculiar Instruments. Houses as characters. Change up the order a little bit, but it'll be it'll be worth it in the end. Now, what's interesting about this is oftentimes in in novels and in, in, in short fiction, just in, in, in general writing, the if there's a character at all, it's usually somebody human. But in many cases, and sometimes some of the most famous uh, of stories or books. The house itself is the character. Now, sometimes people use, I mean, the author, they use that the, the house as a way to kind of get other messages or, or a message across that maybe a, a human character couldn't do, especially if it's something that's otherworldly or, you know, spiritual in nature, or maybe just, you know, in a big metaphorical kind of way. But... In the end, Harris really is the character, and it kind of drives everything that goes around it. There's things that happen in it, there's things that happen outside of it, but in the end, the Harris really is the, the character. And I, I think it's a really interesting subject. So let's get right into that. Now, um, I'm not giving you a, a whole list here on the show of every story and book out there that had a house as a character. There's probably a billion of them, okay? And it is a lot. Don't get me wrong, but... You know, I picked a couple ones that really struck me over the years that, that I've always carried with me, inside of me, as, as interesting. So those are the ones I'm picking out, the ones I feel, I feel that I can expound on on the show, okay? So please don't email me, what about this one, what about that one? Because if I didn't pick it, it can only mean two things. I wasn't that interested in it, or I really didn't have enough time on the show to cover every single house out there, okay? All right, so... Give me a break, please. All right, first one. Now, when I think, when I say house, folks, I I still mean it in in in, in the uh, in the sense of a, a dwelling or an abode. Okay, so there'll be some time there'll be some times on ones we're picking out where it's actually a mansion, and people can complain, no, oh, mansions are the same thing as a house. Yeah, it's a house. Okay, and then of course there'll be one I picked that that's actually um, a hotel. Hey. Still a house, okay? So, in case you were wondering about that, I can't go changing this hotels as characters, mansions as characters, blah, 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 okay? Houses as characters, I think you kind of get the, the the drift here, all right? All right. Now, the first one, I don't know if it'll be the most famous one, but certainly the one I think people will really recognize a great deal, 
is the hotel from Stephen King's The Shining. Now, if you have not realized reading the book or watching the movie, the house really is a character. All these things are coming out from it because it has its own uh, malevolent uh, personality. It's driving other people literally mad. Not to mention bringing all kinds of spiritual things happening in there. You got people running around with axes. You got twins, weirdo girls over there. And elevators come out with blood. There's a lot of crazy things in that movie and in that story. I mean, boy, I know Stephen King uh, was uh, holed up in a hotel. or I, I think he was doing some, um, I don't know, custodian work or some kind of work as he was chopping out his novel or something. But he definitely uh, let it loose because he probably said, this job sucks. This hotel is a piece of crap, and so I'm going to blow it all up. And that's, that's what he did. And that that's really, really, really interesting because I think for the longest time in earlier literature, and I'm talking about literature from like, you know, like the 1800s onward, they sort of stopped writers making the house as a character or, or doing the spooky house or the haunted house or whatever. It was stopped for quite some time. It really wasn't being done for a long time. And then Stephen King came back into it, you know, in the 1970s with this whole hotel. So it was sort of a call back to those days, but in a modern way. And I made it a really good retelling of, of those old kind of uh, scary haunted house type stories. I mean, it's hard to this day to really not walk by an old looking creepy house and not get creeped out. Or go into one of these places as a, as a museum exhibit, like I did one when, when I went over to the to Whaley House in Old Town San Diego. That that was a creepy house. They say there's ghosts in there. They got pictures of ghosts. Things move. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you go on the stairs, it starts creaking, and you you freak out. I'm like, I I went there and I could have sworn I saw the bed, you know, have a crease move out, like if someone was laying on it. My wife said, Ah, you're just seeing things, but. I've been in a lot of houses, and I've seen no crease in no, in no bed before, okay? Suddenly, I go to the house that everybody's claims haunted for over 100 years, and I see this. I don't know about no coincidence. I think I had a paranormal event. I really do. I mean, I wish I saw a UFO. I never got to see one of those. But I, I definitely uh, feel I had a paranormal event with that. So, And it's great for them to bring that back. I, I like that's, what I, that's one of the things I liked about it the most, you know? Everybody can complain now and then about that Stephen King is an original. He's writing about scary cars, scary houses, scary dogs, people coming back to life, and all that stuff is, you know, not all that new. It's sort of a variation on a theme. That's fine. Some themes are ageless, and we should be trying to do a variation on it to bring them back to our era where we live at. So this way we can put our own stamp on it. And our own our own voice about what it's about, and our own, you know, scary uh, feeling about it. You know, it's kind of hard to feel scary about some story written 200 years ago. But you know, it's talking about uh, elevators and you know, hotels and lights and on and off and all that. That's something we can more relate to, and that's why it's good to have these variations on a theme. So I don't really think anything's wrong with that, and I think it's wrong. You know, to look down on that. Oh, you're not being original. Because it's still an interesting story in that regard. And it's still an original story. Don't get me wrong. It's not like there's been another scary, you know, hotel 
blood in the elevator story before. You know, but it is a, a variation on theme on a, in a metaphoric stretch. Okay, but nevertheless, it's a good work, and, and it's perfect for the for this story and, and, and tell you about what we're trying to do on the show. It's a really good example, both in the movies and, of course, in the book. Now, the next one, and we'll go back to the old days on this one, is The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Now, I pick it because it, it, it goes both ways, okay? It is about the house being scary and creepy and all that, okay? Don't get me wrong. But the story is also making a metaphorical dig at the house of Usher, meaning, you know, the, the whole house of Usher, his whole family, his whole, his whole genealogy, his whole lineage. That's really what he's referring to, too. So it's not strictly, you know, a ghost story about some ghostly house. It has a little bit of both in this. But I really like it. It's one of my favorite of his stories. I, did, I think it fits perfect in someone trying to be creative and, again, using the house as, as, as a metaphor for, in both senses, using that word in both senses. He's the only one who's ever done that before, by the way, using it in both ways. Usually someone's just doing something spooky in the, in the house, and that's that. So I really, I really like that. And you should get a chance to reread that. I mean, you can't read The Shining on the Internet for free. But you definitely can read The Fall of the House of Usher. Go check it out. I think you'll really like it. And you'll be impressed by what Edgar Allan Poe was trying to do there. He does a really good job of describing the creepiness of the house, too. And that's really good. Because um, whenever you're using a house as a character, you can't just say, yeah, three dead people died there 400 years ago. And the ghosts are running around wanting to kick you in the nuts and, and scare the hell out of you before you go to sleep. I mean, no. I mean... It has to be more than that. You have to have the detail. It's no different than, than when you have a person as a character. you got to have some detail and get people something to hold on to, something to get more creeped out about, something maybe to even uh, like feel like they're close to it in, in the sense of, yeah, I can't hold this person. I think I understand them. So you got to have that. I mean, even if it's down to the nails and in, in, in the boards or, or the creakiness of the walls or, or, or the damn chandelier is moving, you, you got to have some some real description there. It helps not only build an atmosphere, but in a way, because you are making the house a character, well, definitely you got to add more to it than that. Just like any other character, you can't just say, "Oh, it's not alive." I can't. I don't have to talk about it anymore. Yeah, you do. I like to know the friggin' color of the roof of the squirrels dead on the on on the north side corner. You know what I mean? Is a dog gonna bite me in my ass when I run in the backyard? I want to know these details. Okay. Is the devil hanging out there, or uh, is he all, all, still at the tax office, you know, trying to get me? All right, we need to know these things, okay? All right, next, and this is a more modern example, and I think she was definitely trying to do the creepy house thing, but Shirley Jackson, with her Haunting of Hill House, which, by the way, many people feel is the finest horror, scary house story ever, ever written, okay? This one is more of a novel, though. But she was obviously trying to do more of a psychological thing. I mean, you could claim The Shining is psychological, or even some of the things that were happening in the House of Usher, but there was a lot of spiritual stuff going on there, period. Where the, 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 haunting, the haunting of Hill House definitely is more psychological. And I think the story, when it was done a few times in film, they went at that same angle as well. 
So it's really about the stress, the duress, the the real breaking of your psyche, and how that that causes you to become, you know, a a, a loose negative element. And then, in many ways, the house kind of lends to that because you're giving it more of a of of that kind of spooky feeling, or giving it more of that character than it would have lent itself otherwise. Uh, she is a real master at this sort of thing, and does a good job of giving you that kind of description that we were talking about before, and and giving you that 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 real creepiness. It's a story that really lasts with people. Uh, it, it won a number of awards. It's just it's just a hell of a book. It really is. And you gotta be one hell of a writer to do that, because I can tell you right now, if you think about it, before her, remember she did this before King did this, The Shining by about I think twenty years. Um, there's been plenty of stories about this sort of subject, so it's not, it's not some. Hey, I think um, I can do something new here. I mean, I'm not saying that she didn't do anything new by trying to introduce more of the psychological element to it, but still. It got to be a bit intimidating and, and a bit daunting. They're like, "Oh God, I got to try to do something great," and uh, uh, you know, and there's masters out there doing this sort of thing. So it really is something to say, especially when you got, um, you know, Poe, who she was definitely influenced by, and strangely enough, King influenced by both Shirley Jackson and Edgar Allan Poe. So kudos to uh, Shirley Jackson. Next, and I know this is going to sound uh, uh, probably unusual because when we're talking about uh, creepy houses and houses as characters, we're always talking about the ghosts, the creepiness, the psychological horror, all of that. And that's going to be the bulk of them, okay? Don't get me wrong. But there was one, there's probably a couple, but I only want to bring out one because it's the one I found more interesting. Uh, Little House on the Prairie by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Not only the book that I read when I was younger. Of course, I watched the show when I was younger with my mother. Uh, my father never really got into it. He thought it was corny. But I liked it a lot. And uh, the house really is a character over there. They, uh, they really make pains to let you understand that. Um, Mr. Ingalls wasn't just some poor guy. You know, uh, his wife selling eggs to the store so they can make some money or something. I mean, he's out there working at the mill, but he's a guy, you know, he built everything with his hands. He built the house from scratch from the stuff he found, created something. And, and that house really had a lot of character, raised a lot of uh, children in that place, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of heartaches, a lot of, a lot of happiness. But I think he was one of the few that did that in, in that whole community, actually. So it really made him, uh, a unique uh, individual, and it made the house very unique because I think Laura Ingalls Wilder was trying to tell us with that story and especially with that house about the great expanse, you know, of the wild frontier, how you can go out there and find your love and, and your heart and your freedom and your liberty and, and, and live the way you, you should will, uh, should live as a frontier person or as a, you know, Western settler or you know, or, or as a, you know, I, I guess you could say a, a rural, rural farm kind of person like he was. And, and be successful at it. That's what he was. So she did a really good job of, of bringing that to light to us. So you don't always have to have the house as a creepy, negative monster type thing. It could be like Little House on the Prairie, something that's positive and had a lot of, um, a lot of character to it. And also, 
something you can point to as inspirational. When you look at the house on the prairie, you didn't know, you know, that that was a house of love. That was a house of hope. It was a house of faith. They believed in God. They believed in hard work. They believed in, 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 in brother and sisterhood. You know, they believed in the community that they were in. I mean, all, all the important things that, that belong to a democratic, uh, you know, establishment, whether it's here or Canada or elsewhere, uh, those were all the elements in that story. So it's a real American classic, uh, another a wonderful uh, book written by a, a female author, and, and of course, a, a good positive spin on, on mostly a story, uh, a show that's going to be about all these negative, weird stuff. Sorry, but it's also kind of fun to talk about those too. But I got my positive Wendy in there, okay? So don't mess with me. All right. The next one, which I don't know if you want to call it negative or positive. It's sort of a mixed bag. But Charles Dickens' uh, Great Expectations. That mansion really had a lot of a lot of character and a lot of things that was going on. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of important characters in there. You know, Pip and you know, Miss Havisham and all that. Don't get me wrong. They were all there and they were important characters in themselves. But that house really, really had a lot to do with that woman's attitude towards herself, towards the people inviting in there, you know, the, the, the cake that was never, you know, eaten, all the stuff that was sort of frozen in t time. And it's not hard to imagine dead bodies, you know, it really isn't. Even though Dickens wasn't trying to get creepy with the house, he was definitely trying to mention how our property, our material things, in the end, they could fall to the wayside because uh, they don't give us that hope or that strength anymore. We thought they were going to give us, or we can abandon them and they become, you know, nothing useful anymore. He's just trying to remind us that in the end, you know, uh, believing in yourself and working hard, putting in some grit, some bone, some flesh, some blood, some sweat, some tears, all those things made more for your uh, success in life than again. You know, worrying or worshiping about some house that in the end could just be a big depressing disappointment, which in many ways, that's what that was in, in, in Great Expectations. I always found that to be uh, extremely interesting. One of my very favorite stories, by the way, um, one of the earliest ones I read. I uh, I know I didn't read that before uh, The House of the Usher. I, I actually read that one first. My mother, my mother really liked Poe. I don't think she cared much for Dickens. My mother only really liked Poe and Shakespeare, strangely enough. Even though I told her about Charles Jackson, she's like, whatever. And she's like, what? she wrote one story. Who cares? So she wasn't too impressed. I was. I think she was talking about the lottery on Charlie Jackson's one story. But she wrote a whole lot more than that. My mom was just being a difficult. <laughs> now, as we'll go through this series, you'll see that there's other other important recurring themes in, in books and short stories that can have as characters. We're going to do one on ghosts as characters. We're going to do one on animals as characters. I just like the house to starting off first with that, because I really I really find that there's so much we can uh, we can really discover, and 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 these sort of things because it's true. Sometimes these I guess you could say non-person characters, they can help reveal things that we want to talk about that we can't always talk about about a character because maybe it paints that character or maybe it sort of like sticks them in a box now. We're kind of harder to get them out. Where it's, you know, it's a lot harder to do that with something that's not really alive, so to speak. 
Although, in all of these stories and, and books I just mentioned to you, in one way or the other, the house comes alive. And whether you find it a psychological one or a paranormal one, or even for a short time, a literal one, they become alive. And that's what's important is you have to make any character something that seems living, even if it's not a person. It has to be something that seems living because that's what starts speaking to you. And also it helps because this is where you you, you, you fall into the, you know, into the pit. If you don't put enough detail, if you don't try to bring that, that house or that other non-person character alive, well, you really hurt your efforts because remember that your whole story atmosphere and even some of the elements in it are coming from that main character which is the house so you cannot fail in that way because the whole thing will collapse excuse the metaphor you know on itself because you have to make sure that it's going to carry everything through that it's going to become a, a living piece of the of the story uh, because in many ways if, if it's not central it's really close to that and that's why it's so important to make sure that when you read these stories or when you write these stories, I mean, because right now, I mean, I could probably have plenty of other episodes on this theme. I mean, robots as characters, and, you know what I mean? Spaceships as characters. And, you know, there's probably a couple of the ones they could do as, you know, cars and, you know, maybe even airplanes or something. But I, I kind of think that's stretching a lot too far. I really do. But, and again, I mean, you got hot air balloons, you can do that one too. <laughs> There's a few out there, they really are. But we need to make sure that we give this character, even though it's not alive, the respect that it should have because it's not going to do our bidding. It's not going to help serve the cause that we're trying to you know, create in this story, become that important device that we need it to be. If we're not imbuing it with all the life that we can make it, all the spooky, scary you know, in, oh, in the case of Little House on the Prairie, all the, the hope, the love, the cheer, the, you know, the hurt, the trauma, the tragedy, all that stuff. Well, she really loaded everything up in that. They did a good job on the show, too, you know, to, to show that as well. So I was another reason why I liked it. They, did, they were pretty good with, you know, showing a, a great deal about that. Now, I'm expecting, of course, to get some show, some show questions on this, some emails about it. Who knows if they're going to be negative or positive. But I'm expecting so because, you know, you got you got Anne of the Seven Gables and, you know, this there's a lot of other stories that we could, we could talk about you know, that, you know, have House sort of as a character. But I don't think they're as central, you know, in my in my opinion, you know. Uh, I remember when I was talking to um, my wife about the topic of this for, for sometimes I do that. And uh, she's like, well, what about, you know, Count Dracula? Because, you know, the whole castle and everything is a kind of, oh, Frankenstein and his castle. I go, yeah, those the, those buildings are there. I mean, it's nice to have a castle, you know. And I, actually, I'm thinking both instances, Frankenstein and Cat. But in the end, those are really not about the, about the castle. It's not a house character because, you know, the undead blood-drinking freakazoid, Dracula, is really who that character is. And the monster... Of Dr. Frankenstein, which it's kind of funny called Frankenstein, because really Dr. Frankenstein's monster, his name really wasn't Frankenstein. But um, it's really about him. And in many ways, the doctor trying to bring the, uh, you know, the undead back to life, for whatever reason, just maybe because he thinks it's a cool experiment. 
And yeah, he's in a spooky castle, lightning bolts flying everywhere, blah, blah, blah. But again, it's not a central thing to it all. You know? The central part of that story is, uh, you know, messing with Mother Nature, the consequences of doing something like that, and maybe even prejudice as those people started going pitchfork crazy and everything. And the thing was dangerous to them, but, you know, they treated it like a, like a complete, you know, alien thing and tried to kill it. Well, of course, you know, Dracula was dangerous. It should have been killed. But again... None of those about the houses, but you know it. It was good. It was good that she tried to mention up about that. I really appreciate that because you know I don't want to miss too many opportunities. But again, I didn't want to stretch out you know the whole topic so much. You know, with throwing anything in there, I don't, it gets carried away. You know what I mean? You can put in you know, all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, many, and I still don't think this is a perfect instance, and that's why I didn't mention it. But I'm sure that some people will probably say, why didn't you mention Psycho in this Mark the book by Robert Block and, of course, the uh, the movie? I go because I know he's in the Bates Motel. I understand that the motel, you know, allows him to do these murders and, and hide his dead mother and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But it's called Psycho because he is Psycho. He's doing all these murders for Psycho reasons. The... Hotel, motel, whatever you want to call it, it's not making him do it. It's not speaking to him. It's not imbued with some spirit or anything like that. He's the psycho. He's the character, not the Bates Motel. So that would have been a, you know, an angle on it. But again, I don't want to. I don't like to push it too much. I'm trying to make it more, more central. But I'm covering my psycho questions I might get. So this way, if you try to give those to me, I got you covered already. Ha ha. Okay. I'm, I feel it's going to come on. I'm sure of it. What about what about Norman Bates? Yeah, well, what about him? He's a freaking psycho, right? And his motel was just a stupid motel. Nothing that special about it. You see a million of them driving across America, okay? Nothing not, not big about him, right? But I think it's important as a writer, when they're trying to do various stories over the, over the course of time, they should always try to pick just because it helps spread your wings, it helps stretch your mind, it really helps you expand your imagination, you know, to pick a non-person character, you know, whether it's going to be a scary story about a house or, you know, a spooky highway or weird, a weird cave with, you know, Indian spirits pissed off at the white man or something. I mean, whatever. It's good to try to do that. I really do. I really do think because, in the very end, you're gonna get a lot. You're gonna like gonna get a lot from that because sometimes you could do a number of characters in the story or a number of stories, and you sort of feel like you're out of some of those attributes or you're out of some of those quirkinesses that you know you might have gotten from them. From them now, you need a break. So, you know, why not do something that's not alive? You know what I mean? So that's why that's another reason why I like it is because it sort of gives you a break from 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 the human element. You can still throw my human type stuff in there, even through paranormal and all that, but you cannot explore it in a different way. And I really think that in many ways that helps you with your literary vocabulary, so to speak, or your imaginary vocabulary. You know, your creative juices on doing things that are just not confined to a three-dimensional situation like a human being. Because you remember, when you're doing 
a spooky house or a weird ass cave or you know ghostly highway or whatever i mean you, you can go into other dimensions beyond three and that I, that adds more to it fourth fifth sixth dimension whatever you can add something more to it by doing that that's just more bullets in your gun you know just shoot out a whole nother another series of something that 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 that's creative and, and also something that maybe you as well as the audience discovers something new and i always find that it's it's one of the most strange ironies of writing a lot of people don't understand that even other writers how the hell did i learn something from this thing i'm the one writing it well that's what happens you learn things from yourself that you didn't realize you might put facts together and come up with a truth that you didn't realize existed because you're doing the research, because you're doing the study, and because you're going deep down inside. So yeah, your own writing can teach you things. Just because you're the writer, it doesn't mean you're teaching it. Sometimes it can teach you, and ultimately it'll teach others as well. It's one of the it's one of the beautiful blessings of writing, and I feel in many instances, also, one of its purposes. It's just that it's a purpose. That's kind of hard to have a plan on, you know. Hey, man, um, I plan to do this uh, seventeen thousand uh, page uh, short story, and I'm gonna make it like teach me stuff. And I'm gonna get deep, and and while it's gonna blow people's minds, yo, you can't plan something like that. It happens through just the, the natural talent, and also just the natural ability of things going together. You're piecing things together. Sometimes they fit well and, and incredible things come out. It's really that simple. I mean, in many ways, to me, you know, it's like the old days of painting. I mean, if you think about it, people who wanted to paint, they had to figure out how to get some of these damn colors. I mean, they could get certain colors, blue and red and stuff like that. But there's other ones. The only reason they were able to get them is because they learned to mix colors together to make new colors. That's a lot of times what writing does. When you go outside of your box and outside of your element, outside the, the person and go to the non-person, create it as a character, it's like you're mixing colors together in a literary way. And you become you wind up getting that new, that new landscape, that new that new hue that you didn't have before, that new tint, that new shade. And it makes it that much more exciting and it makes it that much more fresh. And by doing that, not only are you going to become the writer that you want to be, you're going to become the writer that you never thought you could be. So give that a thought. Expand your mind. All right? Until next time, God bless you. Hey, have a good evening. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, Strength to be Human, Houses as Characters. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.